Welcome to Living Hope Church. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. If you have children that are going downstairs for Children's Church, uh, they can dismiss out the back with Miss Melody. If your children are uh, staying with us uh, and like some activities, there's activities on that back table uh, that they are free to grab and take back to their seat. There's also a sermon notes designed for your kids that they can grab and use throughout the uh, service. Uh, so today we are in part two of our sermon series on the Sermon on the Mount and part two of our study on the Beatitudes. Uh, last week we spent some time talking about the context of the Sermon on the Mount, but uh, we saw that this scripture, uh, this section of scripture is Jesus' first teaching court discourse uh, in the book of Matthew, and it is his longest recorded teaching discourse in the Gospels. And in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, Jesus is going to challenge our assumptions of what matters in life and what matters in faith. Over and over again, he is going to push against this assumption that we have that religious activity equates to godliness. And over and over again, he is going to push against our assumptions of what matters in life and faith. So we saw this last week when he called characteristics that we would call uh, negative or we would view as negative, he called them blessed. Uh, last week we looked at the first six verses and the first four Beatitudes or blessings. And these first four Beatitudes, they had a theme. Uh, and that theme was our weakness before God and our need for our Savior or our need for grace. We saw that the poor in spirit are those who recognize their sin and their need for God. Those who mourn are those that grieve over their sin. Those that are meek are those who humbly submit to God, His will, and they value others above themselves. And then finally, we saw that those that hunger and thirst for righteousness are those that long for God's will and His ways. And in each of these, God says, those that do those things are blessed. They will be blessed because they will inherit the kingdom of God. They will inherit heaven. They will be comforted by God and his grace and his forgiveness. And they will be filled and satisfied completely by God. So that was last week. If you missed that sermon and you want to catch up on it, you can uh, watch it on YouTube or on our, uh, listen to it on our website or Apple podcast. But today we turn our attention to the last four of the eight Beatitudes that Jesus shared. And I love how Ray Fowler described this shift. He said the first four Beatitudes focus on our weakness and our need as we come to Christ. Whereas the second four focus on the change that happens to us after we come to Jesus. In the first four, we come to Christ, poor in spirit, sorry for our sin, humbly submitting to him, longing to grow. And then God gives us his Holy Spirit and he changes us. He makes us merciful, pure in heart, peacemakers, and fellow sufferers with Jesus. But we see the audience remains the same. Jesus is talking to his disciples, his followers, to us, his church. And he is describing to us in these next four verses how our lives should look after following Jesus. And how our lives should look different than the world around us. And we'll see more of that next week. So we are in Matthew chapter 5, and we're reading verses 7 through 12. Jesus said, Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we just pray as we uh, enter into this study of your word, God, that you would speak through it. Uh, Lord, we pray that you would, you would touch our hearts and you would call us to deeper faith in you. 
God, I pray that you would clearly reveal areas in our lives where we are not following you and we are not living for you and for your glory. And God, I pray that as you reveal, Lord, you would give us the courage to repent and trust you. God, I pray there's someone here that doesn't know you as their Lord and Savior, that today might be the day that you reveal their need, that they submit and follow after you and experience your forgiveness and your promise of eternity. God, we thank you that you love us. Lord, we thank you that you care for us. We thank you that forgiveness in new life is available in you. And it's your name we pray. Amen. We're going to start right there in verse 7 where it says, Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. If you've spent any time around the Christian faith, you have certainly heard the words grace and mercy. And you've heard these words frequently because they are central to our faith. But if you're like me, sometimes in the familiarity, the definitions become blurred. So let me define real quickly what mercy is. The word grace, first of all, means a free or unmerited favor or gift. Our forgiveness of sins, our eternity, our future in heaven is a gift of grace. We have done nothing to earn it, the Bible says, to deserve it, but it is a gift completely paid for by Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. So grace is when we get what, you did, what we did not earn. Grace is when you get what you did not earn. On the other hand, Merriam-Webster defines mercy as compassion or forgiveness shown towards someone whom it's within one's power to punish or harm. So grace is when we get what we don't deserve, and mercy is when we don't get what we do deserve. The Bible tells us what we deserve is judgment for our sins. What we deserve is death and separation from God in hell. But God in his mercy doesn't give us what we deserve. Grace is God giving us heaven which we did not earn, and mercy is God not giving us the judgment, not sending us to hell, which we do deserve. I don't, I don't know if that helps clarify or makes things muddier. This is dating me, but in 1994, there was a, a group called uh, the Newsboys, and they were popular, Christian band, uh, and they had a song called A Real Good Thing. And in this chorus, they would just repeat over and over this. It would describe grace and mercy. It said, when we don't give what we deserve, that's a real good thing, a real good thing. Then it would say, when we get what we don't deserve, it's a real good thing, a real good thing. Now, the Newsboys are from Australia, so I remember as an eight-year-old, like, it took me, like, hours of listening to it just to understand the words. And then I remember just reflecting on this, trying to, like, wrap my mind around grace and mercy. But God's grace and his mercy are incredible, and they were worth pondering. So here, Jesus is saying, blessed are those who show mercy, who show compassion as opposed to judgment and justice to others. The merciful just don't just feel compassion. Sometimes we feel compassion, but they go and they show compassion to those in need, to those that have sinned against them, to those that have hurt them. And so that's our first point. Blessed are those who show mercy and compassion to others. In the Bible, there are two primary ways or two primary groups that we are called to show mercy to. The first group that we are called to show mercy to are those that are in need. Proverbs 14, 21 reads, Blessed is he who is kind to the needy. Later in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 6, 2, Jesus is going to talk about how it is you are to give or to be merciful to the needy. So we are called to love, to care for, and give to the needy. And the needy can be a wide variety. It can be the physically needing in our culture, or it can be those that are spiritually needing. Those lacking in money, those lacking in food, those lacking in ability, or those that are just down and out. And so when you not only have compassion or feel compassion, but show compassion to the needy in the form of your wealth, time, love, attention, then you are being merciful. 
But this can be difficult because showing mercy will always cost us. It will always cost us to get dirty. It will always cost us to give sacrificially. It will always be questioned by the world. Because as we will see in Matthew 6, mercy does not bring attention to ourselves, but it gives glory to God and it always costs us. One of the things we'll see over and over, but in the Sermon on the Mount is when it brings attention to us, it does no good. Mercy done just to get social media likes or, or bring uh, attention to ourselves is not mercy. Mercy done to get social and media attention and bring praise to yourself uses the down and out as a prop for your glory and your recognition. But the Bible says true mercy is done for the benefit of others and the glory of God. The second group we are called to show mercy to is those that have sinned against us. In Matthew 18, Jesus tells a parable that you might be familiar with. It's the, the parable of the unmerciful servant. And in this parable, he tells the story of a man who has been shown great mercy. He's had this massive debt forgiven. This debt was greater than the man could have possibly paid off in his lifetime or over multiple lifetimes. And in an instant, the man is forgiven of his debt. This man then goes out and he finds a man that owes him just a small sum of money. And instead of forgiving that man as he had just been forgiven, instead of showing him mercy as he has just been shown, he goes out and he has him punished and beaten for his debt. The master calls him in and says, shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? And the Bible tells us that we have been shown great mercy if we are a follower of Jesus. We talked about it. The Bible says we deserve hell and have not only been forgiven, but we have been given heaven. Jesus, how can we not show that same forgiveness, that same mercy to those that offend us? Now, this is one of those concepts that's really easy to nod our heads to on a Sunday morning. But it is really difficult to surrender and trust God with in real life. Because mercy implies that we have been wronged. That we are owed. That we deserve justice and they deserve judgment. Somebody has wronged us and Jesus calls us to show mercy to show forgiveness just as we have been shown mercy and forgiveness. Again, I can amen this on a Sunday morning, but it is hard to show mercy on Monday when someone talks bad about me. It's hard to show mercy when someone lies about me, when someone falsely attacks my character, when someone hurts my children or my wife, when someone harms me. Mercy implies I am right, and the offender deserves justice and judgment, but yet we choose forgiveness and mercy. So how and why should you and I show mercy? Practically, I think the best place we can start if we need to show mercy is with our own hearts. Pray, asking God to change your heart to be more like his heart. And then begin to pray for that person that you need to show mercy to by name. Pray for the person they may come to know Jesus and know his mercy and his forgiveness. Pray that they may experience his grace and his hope. And then pray for tangible ways to show God's mercy to them. And then when the opportunity comes, go and serve and show mercy and compassion this week. The Bible declares we have been shown great mercy. So we are called to go and show that to others as well. And Jesus says, blessed are the merciful because they will be shown mercy. This is the only one of the eight Beatitudes where the blessing is the same as the condition. And at first glance, we read that and we think, is it God's mercy that comes first, or is it our mercy? And his mercy is conditional based on our actions. 
But the Bible makes it very clear. It's not a chicken and the egg thing. But the first thing that happens is God's mercy came first and it always comes first. The first four Beatitudes make that clear. They are all about our need for God's mercy and grace. We saw those last week. So God had mercy on us when he sent Jesus to die on the cross for our sins. God's mercy always comes first. And when we recognize our sin and the abundant grace and forgiveness we have been shown, then we are commanded to go and show that same mercy and grace to others. We are the debtor forgiven the great debt in the parable. How can we not go show grace and mercy to those who have sinned against us? Theologian Frederick Bruner writes, Mercy begets mercy, which in turn begets yet more mercy. Being a merciful, forgiving, or loving person is not a condition for God's grace, but it is the necessary consequence of his grace. God has shown us mercy, so we are called to show others mercy as well. All right, verse 8. Verse 8, Jesus says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the pure in heart. Let's unpack this real quickly and see if we can understand what Jesus is talking about. First of all, let's look at the expression of the heart. In our, our culture, we use expressions like, I feel that in my heart, or my heart was overwhelmed with love or joy or whatever. And in our culture, our heart tends to represent our emotions or our feelings. In the ancient world, the heart was so much more than just emotions and feelings. The heart in ancient culture was the very center of your being. It represented the core, the whole of who you are. In fact, in ancient culture, they used the, the term bowels to represent feelings and emotions. Expressions like my heart jumped lose their appeal when you substitute the word bowels. My bowels came to life when I said I do just doesn't sound the same. And so Jesus here is saying, blessed are those who are pure at their core, at their center. What's in the core of you is who you truly are. We can put on facades, but the heart, the core of us is who we are. Secondly, this word pure has two primary meanings, and I believe they, they both apply. First of all, pure in heart are those who walk in integrity before God. These are people who are who they say they are. They live out their godliness even when no one is around and watching. It's easy to put on an act, but those that are pure in heart follow God always. The second primary meaning is that the pure in heart are single-minded and single-focused. They are pure in their pursuit of God. There are no other idols, no other gods before God. They don't pursue God to impress others, to get pats on the back, to receive recognition, but they pursue God with single-minded focus because he is their God and he is their everything. We'll see a lot of this called out in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus again and again will call out those who do religious activities like pray or tithe or help the needy uh, for show as opposed to honoring him. The pharisaical way of living is an affront to God and the glory. And the glory you may receive from man is all the benefit Jesus says you will receive. So the pure in heart have integrity and they live out their faith always. And the pure in heart have a single-minded pursuit of God. And that's our next point. Blessed are those that live with integrity and pursue God alone this one is difficult john calvin says our hearts are an idol factory our hearts are bent towards sin and self jesus says in matthew 15 for out of the heart come evil thoughts murder adultery sexual immorality theft false testimony slander he says these are what make a man unclean jeremiah 17 9 says the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond pure who can understand it 
So Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart, and yet we have hearts that are far from pure by nature. So how can we possibly obey this beatitude? Well, that's the hope of the Bible, the hope of the gospel. Only God, the Bible says, can give us a clean heart, and that is exactly what Jesus came to do. And he offers those that will follow after him. The Bible says we don't change our own hearts. Only God can change our hearts. David in Psalm 51 says, create in me a pure heart, O God. A pure heart must be a new creation by God, not something we achieve on our own. So how does he do it? How do our hearts become pure? Acts 15.9 says, he purified their hearts by faith. The Bible says when you put your trust and faith in Jesus who died on the cross, God purifies your heart. He forgives you of your sin. He removes your old heart of stone, and he gives you a new heart and new desire to follow him. God not only forgives you for your sin, but he washes you clean. He cleanses you within. He purifies your heart. But yet it's not magic. There's still an element of surrender. God, the Bible says, he gives us a new heart when we put our faith in him, but we must choose to follow him. Jesus describes this as a daily, moment-by-moment choice. The world and ourselves, until we are one day in heaven and eternity, are drawn to the glory of man, drawn to the glory of me, drawn to the riches of the world. And so we have to daily surrender like David and ask God to keep our hearts pure and clean. We need to pray, asking God to remove our blinders and reveal those areas in our lives where we are living in sin, where we are living a divided life. We so often don't see it. And we need people in our lives that will be honest with us and call us out when they see wrong attitudes creeping in. We need to be reading and hearing God's word, which has the power to change and transform our hearts. So today, as we think about this, the pure in heart, would you have the courage with David to pray, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my concerns. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Because Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Jesus says, if we want to see God, we must be pursuing him. Real quickly, this is twofold. First of all, Hebrews 12, 14 says, without holiness, no one will see the Lord. So the first application is that without Jesus, no one will see the Lord. Because it is Jesus who makes us holy. So if you're here today and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, then the Bible says you will not see God. But if you will surrender and follow him, the promise says you will see God. You will see God in this life, but also the promise is one day you will see him in glory in eternity. The second application is for those of us that are followers of Jesus. We are promised that one day we will see God in eternity, but in this life, our sin can keep us from seeing him moment by moment. There's so many examples of this in Scripture, but David in Psalm 32 says, When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long as he talks of his sin. For day and night your hand was heavy on me, my strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. When we are not living with integrity, when we are not single-mindedly following God, we drift from God and from seeing him and acknowledging him in our lives. We talked about this in small group this past week in the context of hearing and learning from God. When we come to church living in sin, going through the motions with a divided and distracted heart, then we are unlikely to see and hear from God. But when we come praying to see God, when we come living in humility, we come seeking and expecting to hear from God, then we can be confident we will see him and hear him. Because that's what the Bible does. It is active and it teaches us. This applies in all areas of our lives. So we want to see God move in our, in our work. If we want to see God move in our neighborhood, our homes. And we have to be living in that arena with a pure heart, praying for God to move and looking and expecting to change lives in that area. 
Psalm 73 says, Surely God is good to those who are pure in heart. Then it closes with, It is good to be near to God. So if you're sitting here today and you realize your heart is divided, then repent and turn it over to God. Ask Him to heal your heart and purify it. And then take steps to follow Him in that area. All right, verse 9. Jesus says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. I love how Fowler explained this. He said, The peacemakers in the Beatitudes are those who make peace between offended parties. He says, Notice they are not just peaceful, they are not just peacekeepers, but they are peacemakers. In order to participate in this blessing, it is not enough to just have peace or keep the peace, but we must be actively making peace. The peacemaker is the one who enters into the rough and tumble of human relationships and brings people together in community. Peacemakers are not afraid to get their hands dirty, but are willing to risk their own comfort and well-being in order to bring peace to others. The word translated peacemakers is found only here in the New Testament, and it is a general word which means to make peace between two offended parties, whether individuals, groups, nations, or even between man and God. We know there's plenty of conflict in our world. We need peacemakers, Jesus says, to step into the gap and bring people together. It is important to note, though, that this beatitude follows the blessing of those who are pure in heart. Jesus here is not talking about making peace at any price, but a peace that rises out of purity. A pure heart following God always comes first. We don't stop hungering and thirsting for righteousness just to keep the peace. We cannot make peace between man and God by ignoring sin. We need to take a stand for what is right. John Stott says, we have no mandate from Christ to seek unity without purity. Purity of both doctrine and conduct. So you can't be a peacemaker if you aren't first following and pursuing God. Right, you've probably experienced this before. I know I've experienced this in the church when someone tries to be a peacemaker, but everyone knows their life does not line up with the words of God. And they have no respect. You can't bring peace if you are not following God and if you don't have respect for your relationship with him. So point three is this. Blessed are those who bring peace with integrity. All right, real quickly, three areas where I believe we are called to bring peace as Jesus' followers. First of all, we should work hard at making peace with others. Romans 12, 18, Paul says, If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Paul says we should do everything we can within our power to be at peace with others in our lives. But he says it's not always possible to be at peace with someone. They too have a say in it. But we should do all we can to have peace. Meaning if I have done something wrong, then I need to apologize. If the other person has wronged me, then I am called to forgive. Secondly, we should work hard at making peace between others. Paul writes in Ephesians 4, 2 through 3, Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Notice Paul says it takes effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. That means intervening when two parties are divided and doing what you can to reconcile the relationship. In Philippians, Paul uh, modeled this. He said, I plead with Euodia and I plead with Syntice to agree with each other in the Lord. He didn't just let the division fester and grow, but he took steps to bring them back together. And then lastly, this is an important one, we are called, and we are called to work hard at making peace between others and God. When we share the gospel, the hope of Jesus, we are being peacemakers, the Bible says. 
Isaiah 52, 7 reads, How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who, who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation. Paul echoes that in Ephesians 6. But we, as followers of Jesus, are called to proclaim his salvation, his good news that brings peace between man and God. Peacemaking means restoring right relationship, and that's what we do when we proclaim the gospel and lead people to follow him. But we must always remember that being a peacemaker means restoring right relationship, not just the mere absence of trial. Our hope for our lives and our hope for others is not merely a happy, trial-free life here on earth, but a restored relationship with the God who saves. Being a peacemaker is not passive. It does not settle for calm waters, but it seeks to restore right relationship. Right? Being a peacemaker does, does not mean being quiet or joining in the gossip in order to keep my life calm. But it means speaking truth into the gossip in order to keep right relationship. Being a peacemaker doesn't mean holding a silent grudge against someone that has offended you. Being a peacemaker means having the conversation and offering forgiveness or showing mercy. Being a peacemaker is not just passively sitting and trying not to cause waves, but it seeks right and restored relationship. And Jesus says the reward of being a peacemaker is that we will be called a child of God. And the blessing here is simply not being a child of God, but is that we will be called the child of God. In other words, we will be publicly recognized as a child of God. Uh, this phrase, child of, refers to the character, that is, sharing the character of another. Right? We have a similar expression in our culture. We say, he is his father's son, or he is his mother's, or she is her mother's daughter. When we say that, we don't mean that they are biologically the child of the parent, but that they are acting like them. And so we are peacemakers. This means we will share in the character of God. We will act like the Father. Peacemakers will be called sons of God, daughters of God. We will act like our Father because God is a lover of peace. The greatest peacemaker of all is Jesus. We see that in Ephesians 2. Paul writes, you who were once far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace. We are imitators of God. We act like God when we bring peace between people and we point them to him. All right, final beatitude, verse 10. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecute the prophets who were before you. A lot of people believe that if I follow God, then my life will be trial-free. It'll be worry-free. It'll be full of wealth and ease. That is not ever the promise of God in the Bible. The promise is we will one day live for eternity in heaven where there will be no more fear. There will be no more tears, no more death, no more sin. And we will get to live forever in the presence of God. That is his promise. That is our hope. That is what we look forward to. But it is not promised in this life. Instead, what is promised again and again in the Bible for those that follow Jesus is persecution, insult, and slander. The same persecution that Jesus himself suffered in his life here on earth. His life which he lived without sin. When we live out the characteristics of Jesus, then we are promised persecution. But please know, Jesus here is not talking about all that are persecuted in this life. But only those that are persecuted for following him and his righteousness. I love this quote from James Boyce. It might be my favorite quote in this sermon. 
James Boyce said, there is no promise of happiness for those who are persecuted for being a nuisance. Remember, this comes on the heels of being a peacemaker. If you are persecuted for the wor- by the world for being a jerk, for being a nuisance, for being obnoxious, for being unkind, then there is no promise of blessing for that. I think of like the Westboro Baptists who travel the country screaming and hating people. They are hated by the world. They are persecuted because they are hateful and obnoxious, not because of their purity and right living. They aren't making peace between people and God, but they are driving people away from him. Or I think of the self-righteous church girl who lives their life to point out the sins of others in order to lift themselves up. They love to tell the world why they are sinners, why they are wrong, why they are going to hell, but they show no love, compassion, or care for the world. They will be persecuted because they are jerks, not because they are living with the characteristics of God. Jesus says there's no blessing for that. So here is why Jesus says we are blessed and why we will face persecution. The first reason is we will face persecution because of our righteousness or our pure living or our pure pursuit of God. Not all sufferers are blessed here, but only those who are suffering because of righteousness. Why is the Christian persecuted because of righteousness? Because when you take a stand for what is right, it exposes those who do wrong. John 3, 20, Jesus says, everyone who does evil hates the light. And they will not come into the light for, the, for fear that his deeds will be exposed. Jesus says, blessed are those who are pure persecuted, slandered, and hated for doing what is right. For living with purity, for following Jesus. That's the second reason that we are persecuted, for following Jesus. Jesus says, blessed are you when people persecute you because of me. Because of me means not just righteous, but because you choose to identify with Jesus. In John 15, 20, Jesus says, if they persecuted me, they will persecute you. Awesome. So that's our final point. Blessed are those who are persecuted for their righteousness and for following Jesus with a pure heart. So again, Jesus says, blessed are those who are persecuted for doing what is right and for identifying with him. If we are following God, then we can expect there will be times that we will be hated, that we will be lied about and slandered because we choose to do what is right as we follow Jesus. And the blessing is that the kingdom of heaven is called ours. And the blessing for the last beatitude is the same as that first beatitude we saw uh, back in verse 3. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The beatitudes we see have come full circle, and it shows that Jesus is talking about the same group of people from beginning to end. He goes on in verse 12 to say, Rejoice and be glad in your persecution, because great is your reward in heaven. This word translated be glad literally means to leap for joy. So what does Jesus say your attitude should be when you face persecution for your faith in him? He says you shouldn't, you shouldn't sulk, you shouldn't retaliate, you shouldn't grow grumpy or angry. You shouldn't just ignore it and deny it. But instead he says you should rejoice. You should rejoice in your salvation. Rejoice in Jesus who has saved you and rejoice in your future. So as we wrap up the Beatitudes and specifically these final four, where is God calling you to trust him? Are there a group of people or maybe a specific person that God has revealed and he is calling you today to show mercy, compassion, and forgiveness to them? God has shown you great mercy when he forgave your sins. Will you be like the unmerciful servant who refused to forgive others? Or will you go and show mercy just as you have been shown mercy? If that's you and God has brought someone to mind, would you extend forgiveness and mercy this week? Maybe you need to just write down their name as we reflect. 
and then go and do it. Or maybe God has revealed an area in your life where you are not living with purity of heart. Either you're not living in integrity or you are living with a divided heart, a divided pursuit. If God has revealed an area, would you repent of your sin in that area? And then take steps to follow him wholeheartedly in that way. Or maybe you're here like, and you're like, no, I'm good. My heart is pure. Would you just pray as Emily plays and ask God courageously to reveal any area where you were living with a divided heart? Or maybe God's calling you to be a peacemaker this week. Maybe he is calling you to make peace with another person by apologizing or extending forgiveness. Or maybe God has placed someone on your heart and he's calling you to share the gospel with them. Maybe to invite them to church so they can hear the hope of Jesus, so they can be reconciled and at peace with God. If God has put that specifically on your heart, would you pray for God's strength and then go and be a peacemaker, a reconciler this week? Or lastly, maybe you're here and you're facing something hard for your faith. Maybe you're being persecuted. Maybe life is just hard and you are growing angry or you're ready to give up. Would you, in these next few moments, give that situation to God through prayer and then rejoice that God has saved you, that he has forgiven you, that he promises you the kingdom of heaven? Then lastly, maybe you're here and, and you might not know Jesus is your Lord and Savior. And for whatever reason, God has somehow used this message to speak to your heart today. And he has revealed your need for forgiveness and for a Savior. Would you today, as Emily plays and we reflect, ask God for forgiveness of your sins? Would you turn your life over to him and, and follow him with a pure heart? As we've seen in these Beatitudes, it won't always be easy, but it will be good. And you'll be promised to be called a child of God and to one day spend eternity with him in heaven. So would you in these next few moments turn and follow him? The Bible says if you will repent, if you will confess your sins, if you will follow him in faith, you will be forgiven. And you will inherit eternity in heaven with him. Emily's going to play for just a few moments after I pray. And as she plays, I'd ask you just to spend a moment reflecting, asking God to reveal areas in your heart where you need to trust him. And if he calls you to repent or calls you to follow, would you turn it over to him as she plays? God, we love you. God, we thank you that you are good. God, we thank you that you sent Jesus so that we can be forgiven, so that we can experience your grace and your mercy, so that we can experience eternal life with you one day. God, I pray if there's someone here that doesn't recognize their sin, Lord, that you would reveal it to them and reveal their need for you. God, I pray that they would break their heart for you, Lord, and that they would choose to follow you with their life, that they would inherit the kingdom of heaven. God, I pray for the many here that have made that decision of trust you with their life, Lord, that you would speak to us in these next few moments, that you would reveal those areas where you are calling us to show mercy, where you are calling us to walk forward in integrity and purity of heart, where you are calling us to be peacemakers, where you are calling us to rejoice in who you are. God, I pray that in these next few moments you would specifically speak to us and reveal those areas. God, that you would give us the courage to trust you with all things. God, we thank you that you are good. We thank you that you treat us with grace and mercy. And God, I pray that you would speak in these next couple of moments. It's your name we pray. Amen.
God, we thank you that you are good. God, we thank you that you love us. I pray that as we walk forward this week, we would walk in your love and your character, and that we would show you to the world around us. God, we love you. It's your name we pray. Amen. All right, just a couple of announcements before we end. Um, if you're new to Living Hope Church, there should be a welcome card somewhere in the area of you. If you wouldn't mind filling that out and placing it, there's a uh, wood box on that back table. We would really appreciate it. Um, that's also you can place your tithes and offerings. You consider this your church home. In terms of announcements, we have small group Bible study, which meets here at the church from 6 to 7 uh, on Sunday nights. If you have questions about that, you can see me. We have youth group and kids night, which meets here at the church on Wednesday nights from 6 to 7. Uh, again, if you have questions about that, you can see me or you can see uh, Ms. Smith about youth group. Uh, and then lastly, uh, we have children's classes that meet on Sunday mornings, every morning, every Sunday morning. Uh, we have teachers for that pretty well covered, but we need people that will just go and help and serve down there and just kind of help with crowd management and be kind to kids. Uh, if that's something you'd be interested in, come and see me or you can see uh, Melody who is down there. Uh, we do require a background check, but um, if that's something you're interested in, um, we would love to get you involved in that way. So uh, thank you so much for being here today. We pray and hope you have a great week, and we hope to see you next week. You are dismissed.